guys! Welcome back to another episode of Science Unscripted. However, there's a twist, so get excited. We're going in Science Unscripted Special Edition. Now, I'm gonna be honest, it's not entirely that special. It's mostly that there's just a difference in the content. So, as you may know from previous episodes, I focus a lot on human-centric stuff. So, we talk about human diseases or um, cool things, basically, that relate to humans. Scientific things that relate to humans. Um, but I haven't really gone into animals yet. And that's really weird, because I honestly really like animals. I mean, at one point, I considered being a vet. So, the fact that I haven't talked about animals is pretty weird. So, I was like, we're gonna do a different thing. We're gonna talk about some special edition episodes. Now, these are just gonna be little tiny fun blips. They're gonna be a little shorter, and they'll have- the content will be a little bit less, hopefully, of me drowning on, and instead be a little bit more, like, interesting instead of- I mean, they are still scientific, but a little bit more, like, on the odd side of science. Um, which I think about it is gonna be kind of fun. So I'll try and release them, like, every so often, which my releasing schedule has been kind of off lately, so I'm sorry guys for the wait for everything, but, okay, getting into it. Today we're talking about the curiosities of animal behavior. Now I'm gonna do two different animals and two different behaviors. Um, there may be more in the following weeks, because there are a heck ton of weird behaviors from animals, like, crazy. Okay, so, we're gonna talk, starting off, with goats. And yes, I know, goats are awesome. Like, they're so adorable. Have you ever guys ever seen the, the, the video clip? It's called, um, what is it? Um, I think it's like just Screaming Goat or something. Wimpy Goat. It's Wimpy Goat. You look up Wimpy Goat. It's the cutest thing you'll ever see. But basically, goats are known for their weird behavior. In the previous episode, we talked about prions, um, and we talked about Scrapey and how those goats were just hecka weird. But there's also a different type of goat that's pretty weird. So let's get into it. I don't know if you've ever watched a video or seen viral clips. There's TikTok and all the doodads that all those young kids are using. Um, basically, some goats have been known to faint when they're spooked. And you'll see it. They're just like, they literally, it looks like they're turned into wood or something. And they just plop over. Like, they get scared and then they just go, boop. They just fall over. It's, it's kind of adorable, not gonna lie. But it's weird. Like, we don't do that. I mean, some of us do. But we don't do that necessarily. So... In fact, there is literally a goat breed that um, found fame through this behavior, like their fainting nature, and were aptly described and dubbed the Tennessee fainting gut. Goat, not gut, sorry. Okay, they can also be called myotonic, stiff-legged, nervous, or wooden-legged goats. Now you might be wondering, like, nervous, wooden-legged, those all make sense, but myotonic, what the freak does that mean? Don't worry, I'll get into it. Okay. So, firstly, not all goat breeds exhibit this really bizarre behavior. Only goats with a specific hereditary condition called myotonia congenita do. So let's break that down a little bit. Um, do a little etymology, if I can actually say the word. So, myo, that's muscle. Tonia means tension. So, tonia is like really similar to tonus, which means, or tonus, which is kind of linked to contraction. Normally, like, if you talk about tonicity of muscles, that's how contracted it is. Um, kind of think of it as, like, stiff. Um, or hard to move. So, um, congenia, that just means it's congenital, so it's present from birth. So, myotonia congenita means it's a condition that is present from birth and is described by muscle tension and rigidity. So, they're not actually fainting, they just, well I'll get into it, but they just have extreme muscle rigidity and this is due to a specific process or a mutation, basically. So this disorder affects the skeletal muscles, which you may recall from the muscle episode I said I would do, but I never did. Um, they're basically the voluntary muscles we use for movement. Um, the muscles are in 
basically in, when this happens the muscles of the goat are involuntarily contracted by the goat in response to fright so like they like kind of like a fight or flight response that is kind of like an impulse they want to run away and move but what happens is that the relaxation that is integral to like coordinated movement that allows them to run or stop or basically like move their muscles because basically you when you move it's just a um complex movement of like contraction and relaxation of your muscles that's how you move your body so basically what they do is they get stuck in this contraction um thing because the relaxation part of the movement is um delayed so they basically just they can't move their muscles and they get this muscle rigidity that leaves them kind of like paralyzed and they're unable to move they kind of look like they fainted after a fright um this muscle stiffness lasts for about five to twenty seconds and it leads the goat pretty much renderless like they like it renders them like completely like unable to do anything which is kind of scary but luckily a lot of this happens in captivity so they're not going to be attacked by like a wolf or something but still it's kind of sad it must be really embarrassing these poor goats and actually i did see a study that they are prone to more stress than other goats which is like kind of sad i'm not gonna lie but still kind of adorable and fun for our sake okay so um it appeared around the 1800s in tennessee um there was no known genetic origin um whether like it was spontaneous or introduced from another breed we don't really know as of right now and obviously there's not many studies into the fainting goat sadly enough because it's epic but we're not really sure so the gene is recessive it can be autosomal dominant um so there's like a varying degree of severity in it um so you need two copies in the recessive part to so crossbreeding the tf goat which is the tennessee fainting goat um with another breed would usually result in no occurrence of the condition because the other breeds don't usually have this um, genetic mutation so this can also occur in humans but today it's all about animals so we're not going to focus on it but if you do want to know it's called the becker type myotonia and the thompson disease if you are interested um, so the biology of this, basically it's caused by a disordered chloride channel in the skeletal muscle. Um, it can be, as I said, autosomal dominant or recessive. So again, that results in varying severity. Um, so it's a missense mutation, which means that it's a single nucleotide change resulting in a codon that codes for a different amino acid. So as you remember, codons there, I think I did this when I talked about, um, our DNA and replication like transcription and stuff so a codon is three amino is a sequence of three nucleotides like you could have say i don't know um i'm not going to go over this but basically you could say it's like um cag basically that would be one codon and if you switch an a or a c or a g um it will it could code it could there's a lot of redundancies in the genetic coding for codons um to basically allow for this have less chances of like a mutation occurring but say you did change one of those number one of those letters and it resulted in a different amino acid being coded for because one codon codes for one amino acid then it could result in something called a missense mutation and this is exactly what happens in this mutation so basically it's for a um chloride channel now chloride channel is kind of like a voltage gated ion channel basically you have a difference in the polarity and then that allows either chloride to come into or out of the cell basically depending it goes down its concentration gradient but it can only open with um a, a an effective protein base so if there's a mutation it won't work um usually if it, the mutation is degenerative but yeah okay so um basically in this thing alanine is replaced by proline so those are the two switch of the two amino acids 
So it causes the chloride channel to have a reduced um, conduction of chloride ions in muscle fibers, which causes the delay or relax in the relaxation of the goat muscles um, after involuntary movement. So after stimulation, there's an increased tendency of response to repetitive action potentials and an increased um, muscle excitability in fast muscle twitch fibers. This is also largely accounted for by the lack of chloride permeability in the muscle fibers due to that ineffective chloride channel. Now, why this is important is because if you remember from our, basically our, um, my previous episodes on the nervous system, you have these things called action potentials, which are what result in like muscle contractions and stuff. And that's caused by depolarization, which is an increased um, action, basically an increased action potential in the cell. So like normally the cell, the resting membrane potential is negative. So when sodium ions, those channels open um, through like um, a signal or something, basically what happens is that there's an influx of positive ions um, and that increases the membrane potential until it's depolarized. And then repolarization occurs when potassium leaves or negative ions enter. Now, chloride is one of those negative ions that kind of helps to like balance out the charge to make sure that there isn't repetitive muscle contraction. So when you don't have these chloride ion channels that are working, or if there's a defective one due to this mutation, that chloride ion permeability, which basically means the ability of chloride to, the ability of the membrane to allow in chloride, um, that's kind of what permeability means. Basically, um, if you don't have that chloride coming in, then you can't really get that balancing out. And there's just this successive muscle contraction from, cause like it's the depolarization state isn't really balanced out. So that's why you have this extreme muscle rigidity because there's just an increasing contraction and there's no real relaxation period. So um, that's pretty cool. It's why that happens. And basically the contractions go cray cray and the goat is kind of just stuck there, which is really kind of sad, but kind of cool if you think about it. I mean, it's not cool for the go, but it's it's kind of adorable to watch. And it's not like it's entirely, um, like, bad for them. But what's, okay, but it, what it does result in is that I did read that some of the goats, they're usually stockier and shorter, and they have kind of, like, buff little legs because their muscles are always contracting. So, like, you can kind of tell what a Tennessee goat looks like compared to other goats because they have these, like, they basically their muscles are hypertrophic because they're getting contracted all the time. And they have, like, disproportionate, um... I think head size and body size, which leads to them having differences in, um, like, sorry, it leads to them having differences in their size. And I think this was also why some Tennessee breeders really liked them because they could like do jumps and like uh, fit through small things, which is, I think I read an account that there was one farmer saying that that's why he liked them. But anyways, we're getting off topic. That was our first one, fainting goats. Now we know it's myotonia congenita, which is pretty cool. So we have a scientific explanation for why goats are cray-cray. Awesome. Okay, next topic. We're going to talk about something called the horned lizard. Now, this dude is a little freaky. I'm not going to lie. He got some weird-ass tricks up his sleeve. But for now, we're only going to talk about one because it's kind of the most important. So get ready and get excited for some reptiles. Okay, so the reptile in question, or at least the important one for this episode, is called the horned lizard. Now, Horn lizards, they're pretty special. They, if you, you might have seen one of them, they have little horns and spikes pretty much all over their body, and they're kind of like a brownish color to blend in because they live in the deserts primarily in like, I think it's California, Guatemala, and um, Mexico. 
Um, so yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the geography is, but I know it's in the deserts, mostly in like, there's a lot in California, um, which is where I'm from, so yay. Okay, so, um, horn lizards, they, um, living in the desert, there's a wide variety of predators, from like, bobcats, wolves, and coyotes, to, um, snakes and hawks. Basically, everyone wants to mess with them. Um, so, what does the horned lizard do? Obviously, he's like, man, this sucks, I don't want to be eaten. That would really mess up my sunbathing schedule. So he's like, oh, I know. Let's level up and come up with some defense mechanisms. Obviously, that was his thinking. This is definitely how natural selection works, guys. Got it? Okay. So, um, I'm joking, by the way. Please do not think that's how I know natural selection works. Okay. So, um, what's... And he's like, okay, so I need some defense mechanisms. Well, what's more scary than shooting blood out of my eyes? Because that sounds great. Yeah. I mean, who comes up with that? Like, who the hell comes up with this? Nature is weird, guys. Okay, so, um, that'll really show them. I'm just gonna shoot blood at them. That's gonna be great. Okay, so basically, they do have other defense mechanisms. Um, they do things like, um, puffing up when they come, when, like, animals come near, which makes it, A, hard to swallow, like, for snakes, um, because they get quite big, and B, it makes them kind of intimidating. Um, so they also have spikes, which, A, hurts. Um, again, intimidating as well. Um, they also do this thing where they can, like, flip on their back and do, like, this- they puff up and then flip, which is kind of, like, to just- I think it's just a show to, like, scare off any animals. Um, it usually works against snakes, but it doesn't really work against bigger animals. So they also have camouflage, as I mentioned earlier, um, but sometimes this isn't enough. Um, so, like, they obviously do, like, this flippy thing, they do this camouflage, and they puff up. But that's not why we're here today. We want to know why the hell this lizard shoots blood from its eye. Voluntarily. Like, why? So, um, I mean, it's just, like, kind of gross. And, ow. But, okay, whatever. So, they, obviously, they're short and stubby lizards, so they have stubby little legs, so they can't really run that fast, so they get... Now, they use this blood spurting as a last resort after basically all of their other defense mechanisms fail. So, um, what they do is they actually can contract muscles around their eyes, cutting off blood, um, supply, like, blood going back to the heart. Um, this creates an increase, um, like, a very steep increase in blood pressure in, um, flowing, like, blood pressure in their ocular sinuses, um, which is, like, the little cavity behind their eyes. Um, and it's, the ocular sinuses then start to fill with blood, and as we know, increased volume leads to increased pressure, so the pressure increases. Then they, when they, like, want to shoot the thing out, they, the blood out, they then contract those muscles again very, very rapidly, which increases the pressure on the sinus membranes, which then can rupture and release that stream of blood that can shoot up to about five feet in the air, which is crazy. And they can also control the muscles to see what direction it goes, um, and how far it goes, which is pretty cool. Okay, but now you're wondering, why shooting blood out of your head to, like, rupture your sinus membranes? Because that sounds painful. Yes, well, it is. Well, I mean, I don't know if it is, but it just sounds horrible. So what they actually do is that they can also repeat this, like, over several times within a short period. And what it is is it's a form of chemical and projectile warfare. First off, no animal or anything wants to get blood spurred in its face. That's just not fun. So it's projectile warfare in the way that, like, it can scare off any pretty much most animals. And it's also chemical warfare. So to us, it's just a little acrid taste. So it might be a little unpleasant, but to canines and feline predators, it's an, they have an extremely negative reaction to it. Um, basically, they, like when we've seen them exposed to it, they spend time trying to get out of their mouths by like 
pawing at their face, by digging their mouth in the dirt, by opening and closing their jaws. They spend like 15 minutes doing this. So while they're doing this, the animals, the lizard, he's just sauntering off. He's like, oh, I'm just going to swag off into the distance, walk, and, walk along into my little, back to my homeland where I'm safe. So yeah, he's fine. So it's a form of chemical and projectile warfare, but it's also, just a, it's mainly, it doesn't hurt the other animal besides giving them like a negative, gross, thout reaction. It more just protects the lizard, um, gives them time to get away. Um, so they also use this to get dirt and dust out of their eyes, which honestly, bro, like, come up with a better idea. Like, get a tail like a horse that can whap the flies away. I don't know. Don't spurt blood out of your eyes. But they can, like, carefully control this mechanism, It's which they call an autohemorrhagic. Autohemorrhagic. Because hemorrhage means, like, to bur burst blood. Um, so, yeah. Autohemorrhagic um, process. They can control this to get rid of particles, but from the sinus membrane without fully rupturing it. So that's pretty cool. And that is why they spurt blood out of their eyes. Okay, that's the end of our Curious Animals episode. Um, obviously, this one was a little bit shorter, quite a bit shorter than what we usually do. So it's a little tiny, like, fun little peek. It's honestly probably good for you guys because you don't have to listen to my droning voice for more than, I think it was 20 minutes. So that's good. I'm glad you guys, well, I hope you guys enjoy this. So if you do, let me know. I can keep on doing these shorter episodes. You probably will like that because it's, again, less me talking. So yeah, honestly, have a great day, guys. Enjoy it. And I hope you guys stay curious. Bye.